I wish I could hear the music like before we started. Cause I would just like love to, like to put in there and like riff on it, but whatever. <laughs> All right, welcome to episode five of TLGR. Two lefties get it right. As per usual, you have your two main hosts, me being Cameron, of course, and myself, Griffin. Obviously, and for the first time in this show's history, setting a precedent going forward, we have ourselves our very first guest on the show. Guest, why don't you give yourself a little introduction, please? Hello, everybody. My name is Agastya, and I am roommates with Cameron, and I go to UW-Madison as well. And, uh, yeah, I'm a sophomore who was born and brought up in India, and I've lived there all my life, and I'm here for university. Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, great to have you on. We will also be having another uh, another one of my roommates, a fellow uh, international student from India, coming on a little bit, but he's a little late right now, so um, we want to have him introduce himself when he gets on the show. But for now, we have the three of us, and uh, we will talk. As per usual, we're going to kick it off with this week's news coverage. Um, nothing of true note this week, and as opposed to weeks past. I will say, uh, someone someone commented this on the other day, but we picked like the perfect time to start this because apparently like every week has just been crazy with news. I know. Apparently, they found out that we were going to start this podcast and decided to start being crazy. Well, little known fact, um, we actually everyone is in our pocket. Like big news is in our pocket, so whenever we say we need content, they actually just launch balloons and all the state of the union. Yeah, I actually uh, was in contact with Vladimir Putin and had him set off like a nuke underneath Turkey to get that earthquake going. So, you, uh, few yeah, people know absolutely. that. But me, me and Vladimir go way back. Obviously, us being uh, pro-socialist, pro-communist, we're obviously pro-authoritarian Russia, of course. Um, bootlickers for Putin and everything. Uh, obviously, I was, just had dinner with G, Chairman G last weekend, so he's a good guy. He's doing well. He's healthy. He's good, good. Um, I, I don't know why why my thing made that think of this, but if you end up uh, watching that documentary I told you about Netflix about Trump, like the Comey rule or whatever? Uh, not yet. It's on my list. I've, I've been a busy boy. As you claim every week when I ask you if you see Yeah, I know. Because I'm, I'm, I'm making still been you busy. watch it on spring break. I, oh, yeah, right, that sounds way, good to me, Cam. By, by the way, to our listeners, we will probably have a live episode. Or not a live episode, but we'll have but like it, an episode where we're in person together for spring break. So, that could be fun. Depending. Whatever. Potentially. But, uh, yeah, okay, let's kick it off with the news. I know Griffin is eager. He has a couple stories. Let's um, start you off over there, and let's burn some time until our other guest gets here. All right, so we're going to start off in uh, the bustling metropolis, the, the beautiful hellscape of Grand Forks. Starting off so, with the local news. Love to hear it. Yep, so a little local. So there's a proposed um, Chinese company-owned grain plant that they want to put in here in the greater Grand Forks area. Uh, it's pretty pretty content, like, contentious, but it seems to be in polling about... 60 to 65 percent are in opposition to this grain plant for various reasons i mean it's gonna be right by the air force base people are terrified of that it's china owned with I, was, the current, yeah, I was just about to say it's, it's, yeah. it's the anti-chinese propaganda with the current rhetoric but also there i mean there's legitimate concerns for uh, uh air quality issues and pollution into the river uh, i haven't done a super, whole lot of issue into uh, research into this plant because it's not the main focus of it we're going to talk a little bit about local government so as you know, all your American cities have what's called a chamber of commerce. It's basically your local business, usually small business owners. Sometimes the bigger corporations, local branch, can get in there, depending if it's franchised or not. Grand Forks has a city council and a chamber of commerce, as every city does. However, they also have 
something known as the Grand Forks Region Economic Development Corporation and Convention and Visitors Bureau. Now say that ten times fast. Yes, the GGFCVB. <laughs> that is and, the longest acronym I have ever heard. I know. It's disgusting in acronym and in what it does. It is essentially a super chamber of commerce where mm-hmm. it is, instead of local business owners, it is uh, like leaders, owners, CEOs of some of the largest multinational, uh, multi-state, Fortune 500 companies that are based out of Grand Forks have serious like business dealings in Grand Forks. And the okay. best part about that is about 80 to 85% of our city council is on the GGFC VB board. That sounds uh, very uh, mob, mob-like. mob I know I mentioned this before we started recording, but uh, to make a political analogy out of this whole thing, well, even more political analogy, obviously, is inherently political in its nature, but so we have we have Grand Forks that represents the UN, and this council above this council is what you're telling me. This is just the security council. So whatever they say goes. Yeah. Yeah. So basically they are the city council. They have a, a track record of being god-awful. Uh, as you can, I, I can as you imagine. might know, Grand Forks were about 85 miles to 100 from the Canadian border. It gets quite mm-hmm. cold. Coldest city in America most years. On average, yeah. Um, they decided that they would put in the cheapest possible piping in town. So about three to four like main like city pipes burst a year, and they got to fix them. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, they have no real regard for what anybody has to say. Uh, a professor of mine who was a former member of the North Dakota State Legislature, or he was either on it or ran for it, uh, went to the city council meeting to raise some concerns about the new plant, whatever, just kind of to ask, mm-hmm. and they told right. him that he was an idiot and that he needed to shut up and sit down because <laughs> he didn't know what he was talking about. Keep in mind, this man is probably the smartest person I've ever talked to, so oh, yeah. clearly, clearly well, he knows me, nothing. Besides me. Yeah, besides you, of course, and myself. So it's really, it's, I mean, it is legal corruption in the way that, like, lobbying works in America. Right, right. Like, this is, it is corruption by definition, <laughs> but it's legal, so don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay. I'm sure they have your best interest at heart. All corporations do. They just want to help what's best for the consumer at all times, guys. Don't they, worry trust about me, it. Trust me. No, they're not going to do deregulation and environmental damage. No, they won't. Trust me. Now, I will say, uh, when, you, when you talked about the environmental aspect, and I guess I've never told you this, so Grand Forks, mm. for, for reference, Mr. Everyone that doesn't know about it, is home to a very large potato plant. Oh, my um, God. Maybe, it was, is it French fries or potato chips or is it just potatoes uh, in general? All of the above. Okay, so yeah, it's a potato processing plant, and it makes the air smell terrible. Like, absolute shit. That's and disgusting. The, and... And there's no way to block the wind in North Dakota because essentially there's no trees pancake level. So it's just constantly like 34, 30, 40 mile an hour gusts with potatoes. So I can only yeah. imagine that this uh, proposed Chinese plant is going to make it smell even better. Well, and even with the uh, the Red River of the North that flows through uh, Bisex Grand Forks and East Grand Forks is notoriously so polluted that it is illegal to swim in it because you will get diseases. I want to take, before I die, I want to just take like a quick dip in the East River and then also fly to Flint, Michigan and then just take a huge drink of water. Yeah, same with, like, Jackson. Mm, good call, good call. Um, well, that is um, fortunate. I uh, love the, the capital owners uh, winning some more. Um, I will move on. I got a story. So this week, we have officially, we have officially a race for the 24 now. 
before it was just the Republicans between Trump, Bolton, and um, uh, Nikki Haley. Well, yep, Haley. Oh, I guess Meatball Ron hasn't said he's running yet. He's technically not. No, Meatball Ron is still going. That's uh, Ron DeSantis, for anyone that doesn't know. Augustia, I'm talking to you. Oh, I'm, I didn't prep this at the beginning. Uh, Augustia and later our guest is going to call on a little bit. They're uh, extremely political. They know everything about politics. So whoa, whoa, they're, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're, they're representing that group. Just to, just to make the listeners clear, I'm the complete opposite of that. I do not follow politics as much, and I do not know a lot about it. I'm more of a philosophical guy, so it's the complete other end of the spectrum, in my opinion. As he mentioned before, we're roommates, and when he's asleep, he talks in his sleep, and he just rambles on about political theory. Like, sure, come on, sure. go to sleep already. <laughs> but, um, so we officially it's, have a It's race. interesting. It's interesting because you you're like the complete opposite to me. You're the most political guy I know, or met well, in my entire I life. I try, I try. Between me and Griffin, <laughs> it goes back and forth. But yeah, um, we officially have a race for the 2024 presidential term. We have uh, we have officially uh, have a, have a nominee for the Democratic ticket. Well, I guess not a candidate for the nominee. Uh, her name is Marianne Williamson. Just a, a general activist. She's a writer. Um, now she's written a couple, uh, a book or two, uh, I think some general like lifestyle articles and stuff like that. And when I first saw this, I was like, okay, I mean, she's never going to win. Obviously, if, if it's going to go to anyone, it's going to go to Biden, but whatever. He hasn't announced he's running again, technically. And I was, I was a little hopeful, like half a second. I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at this picture. She looks okay, like whatever like that. From the picture that I saw of Marianne Williams, I thought at the absolute, absolute oldest, she was like late 50s. She looks and, really and, good for her age. Oh my yeah, god! Exactly, exactly. And I thought she was like late fifties, as like the the outside. I thought like okay, maybe late forties. I'm, I'm daring to dream that we actually don't have an old ass like leader for once. And I pull her up. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do a little research on. Her. We can talk about her like this. No, no, no. She's not fifty at the out on the on the like far end. She's seventy years old. And yeah, she looks really good for her age. But why is it that when everyone goes past the age where people should be retiring. They're like, I'm going to run for public office. Stop doing that. Just stop. We don't want old people in that office anymore. Oh, I don't know why people think that's so complicated. Yeah, she's 70 years old and she's running for, like, she's going to run for this. Like I said, she's never going to get it, but it's, you know. That's... So, did you do any, uh, research into her policy? Uh... From what I saw, she's a very environmentally focused person. Like she is obviously a huge like supporter of like climate change initiatives and stuff like that. But beyond that, that was like the little like snippet of the article that I did read. It was a climate like focused like candidate announces her running. Um, but uh, other than that, I didn't see a whole lot. So I this can do more is, into her, but. yeah, this is. I mean, we'll give you guys an update. Uh, it probably in the next coming sometime this year when we have a few more candidates we'll do like a deep dive into candidates mm. on both side yep absolutely but she I mean she appears very very democrat obviously uh but a couple of things on here looks a little promising an anti-poverty plan whole health plan reparations plan will any of those actually get passed into law absolutely no. not but I mean it's, it's nice to say them they yeah. nice. uh she talks about the horrors of mass incarceration reproductive rights so she's also very spiritual so I'm kind of curious what uh I mean, she has to. She has to be anti-abortion because she's running on the Democratic ticket. But yeah, 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 that's true. Um, so uh, as I as I mentioned, I, I don't mention to whatever like on the reporting, but I talked about it before we started. 
Um, we have our first guest this week, and I'd like we'd like to start a precedent of our guests finding a news story that they find interesting throughout the week, and have them bring it up to us. They can kind of discuss it, give a little bit of overview, and then we'll talk about it from there. So, uh, Gusty, have I given you enough time? Have you found something that you found interesting this last week? <clears throat> yes, yes, I have. Um, Hell yeah! So something in India that is going on that I actually was reading about today as well was that our Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Um, if 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 the listeners do not know, you know the Indian political system has a precedent, but they don't. They're not the uh, main. It's the, the president is not the main like governor mm-hmm. and does not make the decisions. Um, right. You know, in terms of the hierarchy of the system. It's yeah, the, the, president, the president. That, the president you know, is the figurehead, from what you guys have told me, right? Yeah. No. No. Prime minister is the bigger head. Yep. 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 Uh, unlike in the U.S. where the president is. Uh, and so our Prime Minister Narendra Modi released over rupees 16,000 crore. Uh, and that that's a lot of money. A crore in in Indian standpoint is seven zeros, I believe. So yeah. it's it's a lot of lot of money, a huge, huge budget to, uh, to the... Uh, to this, to the state of Karnataka, which is the state that I live live in back home, and awesome. uh, he released all of this money to around eight eight million farmers, and uh, yeah. it's it's to this organization that's just governed by the the main central head of the government, and they get all the funding from them, and all of this money is just you know used to subsidize farmers and help them out and everything, and yeah, it's just it's just good to see that we're we're doing this, and it's always positive to see India going in the right direction. And yeah, that, I'm, that, that, I'm all that for Modi awesome. for that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, if anything comparable, I would definitely, I would hope there would be something comparable, like U.S.-wise, um, to that. But um, what always shocks me, I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but what always shocks me is how farmers are so consistently so conservative by nature, when they're the ones that get the most government handouts of any other industry, especially since mm-hmm. Reagan. Like, they're like, oh, this just... Uh, there's like those welfare recipients, like they're just hogging in. My, my brother is right. You are getting the most welfare for your crops yeah. that don't that don't grow. Because famously, yeah. famously the Republicans don't want to slash subsidies. Famously, they're they're very pro subsidy. <laughs> they're they're pro working class. Remember that. Yeah. Because yeah, the Democrats aren't the one who gave you your subsidies to continue to raise them. Famously. Famously, absolutely. Is. Is the uh, are farmers heavily subsidized here in the U.S. as well? Massively. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, um, I think it's upward. It depends on where you live, of course, but I think it's upwards of like sixty or seventy percent of your like crop money is guaranteed every single year or something like that. At least for the big yeah. ones. Yeah, they get like, big bailouts and money to mm-hmm. buy equipment and all sorts of stuff. I, uh, not, yeah. do a, I feel like listen, that's, that's definitely. Yeah. We're not saying is a bad thing. Like I, I pro yeah, farm yeah. subsidies. Keep food cheap. As am I. As so. am I. I. I come from a farm family, so I might have a little bit of bias, but they're definitely like obviously without them, there's no food. So kind of important. Yep. I feel like that's definitely consistent in India as well. Um, simply because the big the big cities are just very heavily populated. You know, we, we of course have a huge population. You know, you know, like the the most populated countries in the world and. With over like 1.5 billion people, I think. Are, are you guys uh, the most populated now, or is it still China? I think it's still China, um, but we could check on that real quick. But I, I yeah. yeah, 
probably probably after China, I'd say. Uh, but mm. you know, just to put things into perspective, there's so many countries in this world, and it's just it's just crazy to see that with such a heavy population, right? Uh, but anyway, yeah, as I was saying, like cities are just very heavily populated, and uh, and when I mean heavily populated, like my city had has over 10 million people, right? Like it's it's just insane, and there's just so many such cities like that. Which, for so a little if, perspective, that one city has double the population of the state of Minnesota. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Wisconsin yeah, and, and, and Minnesota combined, and then probably all of North Dakota too. Yeah, and that's that's just like you know, Bangalore is a city I live in, and that that is a major city city show. But you're forgetting other big cities like Mumbai and Delhi, where they're going to be even more uh, people living in there. So yeah, mm. it's 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 mental to think about. I, yeah, I'll, I, we've we've had this discussion before, and same with um, Shara's coming out a little bit. Um, Griffin, would you? Consider Madison a big town. I mean, it's a quarter million people. Yeah, I would call Madison a big city. Yeah, see, we, we grew up in a twenty thousand person town, like on a, on a good day, and that was whatever like that. I mean, it's still like significantly smaller than like the Minneapolis Twin Cities area, which is what I think of when I think of a city. But it's definitely yeah. I mean, it's a quarter big. million people. That most people, at least in America, would probably consider that at least a decent sized town. Um, yeah, uh, Aug- yeah. Augusta, Augusta Scott said that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's this is this is like Madison is just big for so many people, right? But for me, I feel like Madison is such a small place. Like it's, uh, I feel constricted. You know, like I've, a a big city for me is just is just completely different, and it's it's interesting to put that into perspective. Like I was literally telling Cameron this the other day. I I was I went on a date with this girl from Wisconsin, and she's just from this really really small town. Uh, area and she's there were just like 1,500 people in the town and for her Madison is just huge and and it's just the complete opposite for me and I believe this is true for most people in, in India who live in major cities because I feel like there's just a lot going on in major cities and it's the, the heavy heavy population also plays such a huge role in the economy and uh, and then they're all in like the political, the political way as well, for sure. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like their cities are like way, way more dense than American cities, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it definitely is like traffic and everything. If you if you just quickly search up, you know, even for the listeners, just traffic in India, and you, you'll you'll just quickly see videos of how crazy it is <laughs> and how how many cars are on the road and how like. Like the the concentration is of of the population in different areas of the city is is, is a lot and it's very heavy and it's yeah it's you're wrong you're, you're right for sure uh, that it's it, it definitely gets like very very big even even though as as the city starts expanding you just get more and more people trying to come into cities right for mm-hmm. better opportunity better jobs and a better lifestyle. Awesome. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, well, thank you for bringing up that farm story. That definitely, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Very young. And I know that by uh, at least comparatively to, let's say, the European world, Indian is a more conservative by nature country. So for to have such bailouts like that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think we can move on a little bit uh, there. We can move on from. I know, Bush, you have a couple of stories about our favorite congresswoman from Georgia. Yeah, well, uh, I'll bring to her second. We'll lighten up a little after this. We do have some 
a little bit more disturbing news. I would disturbing, but uh, it's frustrating for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare workers are working to so in the healthcare industry, there's something called a no competition clause, right? And essentially, what this means is so um, say your city has two hospitals, one on either side of the town. Uh, these hospitals, or even it's and it'll even be larger areas than that. So say like the entirety of the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area, or the Minneapolis yep, metro yep. area, these hospitals, when they sign contracts with their doctors and their nurses and other healthcare professionals, will insert what's called a no-competition clause, which basically means that they cannot quit their job and go work for one of these other healthcare centers. It's so it is, stupid. It's against... And so what this does is basically, if you want to go to a hospital that's going to pay you a wage a better wage give you better benefits better quality of life you have to uproot and move x amount of miles away because you can't work for any of these other hospitals in that radius and what this allows the hospitals to do is underpay their doctors and their nurses and other professionals because they don't want to uproot their whole life and you know they've they've got kids and a wife that don't want to move and they love their home but if they want a better paying job they're forced to move and so they've kind of come together and are trying to get rid of these uh no competition clauses, and the hospitals mm-hmm. don't like that because they're a bunch of greedy capitalist fucks. Exactly. exactly. Um, have deci- I think they've so far have spent a few hundred million, but it's going to get into the billions very quickly here, uh, lobbying Congress to uh, allow them to continue these no competition clauses because instead of redistributing another you know three billion dollars to your workers and paying them adequately. Let's give no, $3 billion dollars to Congress so that we can continue to not pay our workers adequately. Oh, I just love the system so much. It's, it's so good. It, it makes so much sense. And it's honestly, okay, it's even stupider. So obviously the healthcare industry is a big industry. It's one of the biggest that we have. If, um, but if, so we have those. To make it even more petty, did you know that McDonald's has a non-competition clause? If you work at a McDonald's, like let's say you, you're only getting like 20 hours a week so you want to get that extra 20, you cannot work at a fast food industry nearby that's comparable to mcdonald's oh that's so stupid i read something the other day so petty about pepsi and pepsico is like one of the big reasons we still have a 725 federal minimum wage right right. is because they so pepsi is so bad in comparison to coke (laughs) that they couldn't get like fast food chains to pick up pepsi instead of coke okay so naturally what did they do well they bought kfc pizza hut and taco bell uh, obviously, I mean, I think I think those are the three. You can't beat them by so, them. So they bought them so they could put their uh, things in them, and eventually, like, broke it off as a branch corporation. <laughs> and uh, so and now, instead of you know just paying their workers more money, they spend a, about a billion dollars a year lobbying the U.S. Congress to keep the federal minimum wage at seven dollars twenty-five cents. Hell yes! Um, I will interrupt you for one second. Uh, we have we now have our fourth guest that has joined us. Um, I would like them to introduce themselves and uh, just give a little brief backstory. Uh, I know we got to do a little bit ago. I know we're here for that, but uh, let's talk about like yeah. Give us a spiel, Tashar. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi. So my name is uh, my name is Tashar. Um, I am uh, one of Cameron's roommates uh, here at uh, UW Madison, and uh, I'm an international student from Bangalore, India. So uh, uh, it's a long way from home. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been a, it's, it's 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 a great place to be, uh, and I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we had to start a little bit without you because you lied to me and said your TA would get out early, but I guess not. 
Okay, so typically my, my TA does end class like 20 minutes early, but for the first time in forever, he actually decided to take up the whole class. So that's uh, that's my bad, but uh, yeah, I'm here now, so that's what's important. That's true. I will. I, I don't know why I thought of it, but me being the science nerd that I am, so right now I'm looking at the, the, the site, or like the screen or like that, and we have just the names of the participants and the letters are. Guys, we have a full DNA screen right now. We got CGAT. Let's go. Dushar, I have one question for you right yeah. away. Cause Augustia told this about his hometown, and it was curious. Do you know what the population is of your the city you're from off the top of your head? Yeah. Uh, actually, Augustia and I are from the same city. So okay. we're, about, we're approaching about, I think, 12 or 13 million right now. Yeah, it's definitely above 10. Um but that was probably like two years ago, so it's, I'd say it's over 12 at well, this point. Well, okay, I think a lot of also, a lot of the census data, it's, so technically the city we're from, which is Bangalore, is divided into two different cities. One is known as Bangalore Rural, and one is known as Bangalore Urban. So a lot of it, a lot of the census data just shows, like only shows the urban data, not the rural data. So uh, I think that's, I don't know, if you saw some uh, discrepancies, it could have been because of that. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure we're around, yeah, we're definitely above 10 million right now. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned that a couple of years ago. Do you guys have a similar policy to the United States where every 10 years is, is census here? Is that, like, is that comparable? Like, is it every 10 years well, kind of thing? Or? What do you mean? What do you mean? Every, yeah, it, it probably could be. I'm, I'm unsure when they record this. Um, but... I, I remember the most most recent was just like probably 2020 I'd say yeah yeah uh, it is every 10 years uh, from what I remember I'm fairly confident about that um, I think yeah that th- I think that's just like a generic standard amongst most countries so and I already gave the spiel to Char don't worry I told him that you and Augustia have all the politics so much that you just talked about it nonstop. so uh, <laughs> you should be quoted immediately after <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You yeah, see, you, um, you say that, but but people can't recognize your sarcastic tone. I've been told that more recently than ever. I swear, like I guess I just am too good at it, or am I too bad at it? I don't know what that means. They just like, I don't know which one it is. Like but, I could definitely see that because like I've known you for so long that I, obviously I can tell when you're being sarcastic. But you do talk in like the same, just very dry tone, especially when you're being like you're almost more passionate. You sound almost more sarcastic when you're being serious than you do when you're being sarcastic. <laughs> Damn straight. This is true. Funny. All right. Um, yeah. I, I have uh, one more story, then I know, Griffin, you have one more, then we'll move on to the actual uh, meat of today's episode. Um, I know that there were... Um, uh, President Biden, earlier this week, had basically made an announcement that uh, uh, he's going to impose some financial restrictions on... Uh, basically create non-competition clauses for uh, microchip makers that basically weren't out of Taiwan and uh, U.S. affiliates. So basically we're just going to tax the rest of the world that makes microchips, especially in, like, Chinese plants that, um, yeah, so we basically create no competition clauses. And I don't know, I, I keep going off the tangent, but... <laughs> so obviously Stephen Crowder, which you know about Bug Club, like his uh, like, whole, like, scam thing. Yes. So Stephen Crowder is obviously a huge right-wing commentator and he's anti-China and he sells mug club subscriptions for like the actual like that's why he makes money and uh do you know where those mugs are made by chance? uh I'm gonna go on a live and say China 
you hit the nail right on the head. Being the most xenophobic YouTube commentator on the on the platform right now, and truly, oh, communist China, oh, so bad all the time, blah blah blah, whatever. Nope, nope. You're making your bread and butter from employed sweatshops over there, so you can't complain, sir. Sorry, can't do it. But made in America is always so great. Then why don't you make it in America, huh? But, I yeah. have sure I could recollect him saying we need to bring industry back to America and our factories back to America, but uh, he's also a grifter, so that's true. He is. He is that. Um, yeah, that's that's my first chip one. So okay, go ahead from there. All right, I've got one final story. A little bit of a funny one here. Everybody's favorite favorite Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was on one this week, and I mean on one like almost to the level of Jewish space lasers. She's, she's rolling back with the hits, even, even she, with the, the moderation that she's coming out and trying to be the VP. But, so yeah. I'm, I, I, this is as close as I could do to a direct quote off the top of my head, but Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene was in a video that, you know, we all know is always in 420p because she can't get a good camera. Well, yeah, um, no, she, she just can't, can't figure out a <laughs> She said, and I quote, I know some white people who are just as lazy and gross as black people. Oh, yeah, I did see that. That's right. I completely <laughs> that forgot about that. straight from the horse's mouth. And I say horse because she looks like a horse. She does have a slanted face. I will get yeah. it. So, straight from Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth. I Just beautiful. It sums up her entire platform. <laughs> <laughs> she is going to... She's going to be the VP. She has to be. She has to be. She has to be. So, let's, let's, let's go down the darkest timeline here. Let's say she becomes the VP. Like, she gets the nomination for VP... Trump wins in 2024, and she is vice president. We're going to have a woman that once said that the California wildfires were being caused by Jewish space lasers in the White House as the second in command. She's going to be as powerful as Dick Cheney with no, with no back Oh, my God. Whoa, well, listen, heard. nobody's as powerful as Dick Cheney. But... That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've but... got, I've, got, I've got three more MTG stories here before we can move on. Fire monster. She, uh, so as we know, the congressional wage is uh, $176,000. That's, that's just the salary. Let's not, that's, let's not forget about the lobby. That's their salary. That's yep. their salary. And they only have to work about, what, nine months of the year? Technically, they only have to work every three days. Um, Four but, nine um, months of the year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she complained that her wage was not enough and that she was making so much more before she was in office and that they should raise the congressional wage. I'm okay. sure that accurately represents her constituency of poor-ass people in bumfuck Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> probably the highest salary in her out of that entire district. Um, she probably makes up 85% of it. Yep. <laughs> the entire uh, county She said she would like to implement a rule that would stop people moving from traditionally blue states to red states from voting for five years in those red states. Good damn. Yeah suppress the vote that is that is what america was built that, on that is it. the republican platform uh she was also advocating for a stupid, national man. divorce aka the confederacy uh along she, red I, states I don't and blue think states. she knows history like I, I i generally i don't know what like did she go to college like did, like, did she graduate high school i don't know There's her no education way. Level. she can't i i don't know her education level but i don't think she was actually like taught history like i don't think she knows like, knows what any of the words she says mean like so the only words she knows that are like are the united states and yes or no for voting proposing to uh divide the nation based on party lines i.e do a confederacy is a bold strategy from the quote-unquote party of lincoln 
Yeah, before the party clicked famously. And my the last one is <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene's claim that America and Congress was undergoing an Islamic invasion because Ilhan Omar was elected. Make re-elected in 2020, that we are being taken over, and in the next 10 years, we will be under Sharia law. Oh my god. Because famously, so famously, uh, Ilhan Omar, the only Muslim uh, congresswoman that I can name off the top of my head, who was famously censured for speaking in support of Palestine, is definitely taking over the country. I will say, Chachar, as a little bit of a, as a little bit of jab at you, slight jab. You may like her, uh, at least one aspect of her. She's a huge CrossFit mom. Like she is into CrossFit down to like she goes every day. So you gotta you gotta appreciate the gym grind out of that crazy ass woman. Yeah, I definitely respect that attitude for sure. That's uh, <laughs> that's single woman grind that never stops. Even when the Jewish people want her to stop, never stops. Never stops. So uh, that's right, what um, I that's what I got for MTG. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have more content about her soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I know it's been a pretty news-heavy news, news heavy thing so far, but we will uh, transition into the bulk of the episode today. Um, so we have our first two guests, and we're going to utilize them basically for the rest of the episode, the rest of the time. We are going to take a more backseat, because we are going to talk about um, some Indian politics. I know a lot of uh, our main audience is from America. We have some Canadian, we have some uh, listeners from Mexico. I think we have one from Guam. I don't know. I, I have the analytics for like that, but we don't have any from India because these two refuse to share it with their friends and family back home. But um, we got we got them here, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to educate some of our listeners about the Indian political structure because obviously, growing up in America, you're only taught American stuff because we are uh, supreme. We will force anyone else down that even tries to uh, reckon with that fact. But um, yeah, so we're going to talk about some Indian politics stuff. And we're going to we're going to kick it off. Oh, I. I did want to bring up this one fact before before we go off into that. Bush, did you know which which um, election do you think Obama won in a bigger margin? Doesn't twelve and doesn't eight? Probably two thousand twelve. Okay, I mean that's fair. Well, who, who did he run against in eight? Uh, so we ran against John McCain. Oh yeah, yeah, probably probably twelve. See. That's what that's what I thought as well. But he did win by a larger margin, by actually a significantly larger margin. It does maybe I'm thinking. And it wasn't so much like so he won three sixty five to one seventy three, and then it does probably won three thirty two to two oh six. So like, not too bad. But where that swing comes from is obviously he had Florida and North Carolina for him in dozen eight, uh, and he lost North Carolina because of Romney. But do you know what else state that he turned blue? That like is it, just unimaginable thinking about it now. I, I can't say I haven't seen the election maps in a while. He turned Indiana blue. No way. Like deep middle of America, red Indiana in two thousand eight for Barack Obama, he got that state. Let's go. That's crazy. That Indianapolis I, I was that. going nuts. I, I didn't know that till the other day, but um, yeah, that was that's not um, yeah. I just wanted to share that before I forgot. Yeah, I collect that on, like, Tuesdays. I know Bush would like this. Okay, let's move on to the Indian stuff. So, let's talk about our two guests. Um, let's start off with a more America-centric question. How would you guys describe um, U.S.-India relations? Have you guys, like, like learning about it, going through school? Are you guys taught uh, anything about, like, the U.S.? Are you guys considered, like, trade, like friendly with them? Are you more, like, independent, kind of, or... 
what would you say is the general like U.S. like relationship with India? And either of you can answer. Go ahead. Uh, I think it's pretty much chill. It's a good vibe. Uh, there's nothing been significant over the last 10, 15, 20 years, I think, where, you know, there have been, like, any restrictions or any trade restrictions or anything. Like, India and U.S. have, politically speaking, been pretty chill. Our, our Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, has visited you guys a bunch of times. I know he's met uh, Obama when he was... President and you know the Trump administration as well and you are cutting it really bad Trump right now. Am I the only one doing that? Well, it's not too bad for me. Sorry, I think I sort of disconnected over there, but yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I think we all disconnected. I, I, I lost a lot of there. Yeah, so I think since Modi has come to power, we've definitely had better relations with uh, America in general, I think. Um, I think, yeah, I think Gus is, like, we fairly, we've pretty much always had, like, um, decent, uh, uh, a decent relationship with America, but I think it's definitely got better in the last, probably, like, seven, eight years. Um... I think, yeah, we've always been, yeah, like, a, uh, like, India's always, like, U.S. has always come out and said that they recognize us as, like, a huge, like, defense partner, and, um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I just think, uh, there's nothing been significant, uh, I, I, I was, you know, I, I don't know if I got cut off there, but I was talking about how our prime minister has met, like, a bunch of U.S. presidents, and, um, how, like, that you know during the Trump administration and Obama administration as well, like they're in the movie, they would fly down and talk about some stuff with them, and you know they would they would visit India as well. Uh, I believe he has a they have a good relationship with the the whole Biden administration right now as well. And overall, in terms in terms of you know the economy and trade and how things are moving, they they definitely see eye to eye. Uh, and yeah, especially with in a more political power sense you know they, they look at like counterterrorism and just bad things happening in general and it and I feel like it, it's a, it's been a it's been a good vibe it's definitely been more strong uh, over the last eight years like Bashar said but I think what really sealed the deal was after we gained independence uh, in the in the 40s mm-hmm. from British rule and through through that it's just you know US becoming of superpower and just becoming really strong economically just forced uh, countries to have a good relation with them and I feel feel like at that point it was it was definitely when India kind of sending their bond with, with the US perfect um, yeah that's awesome um, now um, I don't actually know this I don't uh, know if you guys know this either do you know um, when Modi was first elected, and it's like, do you guys have presidential term limits, or is it kind of rule until you want to kind of thing? Like, keep running until you won't go on to. No, yeah, each each term, like, how in the U.S. you have a four-year term, we have a five-year term in, uh, mm. in India. Yeah, like, uh... Uh... I think you, it was, like, 20, 2014 when, when we got Modi to come in. Uh, it was, it was when the the BJP party so like how you guys have 
the Demo uh, Democratic and Republican Party bodies here. We have uh, the two biggest bodies for us, uh, uh, BJP and Congress. Okay. And uh, yeah, B BJP won the won the election in 2014, and ever since then, uh, Modi's been serving four-year terms. And, and you he's, guys, he's just been. You guys know if there are term limits? Yeah. Do you, do you know? Are there term limits? Is that what you said? That's a good question. I'm I'm, I'm unsure. I think that there shouldn't be, uh, at least in a you know precedent standpoint, but. No, and okay. yeah, not for, for prime ministers. We don't have yeah. I, I, oh, think, okay. I think you can keep getting keep getting elected again and again, and uh, yeah. and more more than that. Like if even if the if the if your body wins the the BJP body that Narendra Modi is in, I'm, I'm sure that there could be like a different uh, prime minister from that body, like that would you know be the prime minister. But I mean, for the most part, it, it that usually does not happen because. Because of just just sad reasons and how how the whole structure and system has been built. Gotcha, gotcha. I have a um, completely another, random uh, comment here, but uh, I was just doing it. Specifically, I I don't know if any, uh, if you haven't looked at a picture of him, uh, go ahead and look at a picture of him. He he does look pretty good for his age. Um, he's got the full white beard. He's uh he's he's seventy years old, so he's younger than um our last two presidents. Um, but yeah, he looks pretty good for seventy. I I brought this up. I know that. Um, so probably more interesting to uh, the Griffin than the two of you, but I did look it up. Like, what what are the current like youngest world leaders? Because like obviously here we have an 81 year old man. You guys have a 70 year old man. I just wanted to see if like it's everywhere around the world. It was just like, um, uh, basically it was, it was so. Oh, Griffin, you're not recording right now. By the way, I just popped up. Uh, so I'll, I'll figure it out. But anyway, I was talking about. Um, I was looking at the youngest world world leaders. Yep, yeah, I can hear you, but it says Griffin's computer stopped recording. So. Yeah, I, it says like this result of like hardware. Oh. Close all running apps and tab. And re just rejoin the studio. It should be fine. Okay, but yeah, um, you know, I was I was talking about the world, like looking up the like the youngest world leaders. Sorry about the technical difficulties, by the way, but we were looking at the uh, leaders. So the youngest world leader currently in power is um, the president of Chile, uh, Gabriel uh, Boric, and I'm definitely mispronouncing uh, her name. But yeah, the Chilean president is the current youngest world leader. She is only 36. And then we have close behind that, we have Finland's leader of Sana Marin, and I definitely mispronounced that, but, and she's only 37. So like, it is possible to elect like young people. I don't know why we can't do that here, or there's a lot of people like, just a lot of countries in general, but it is possible so we can have a brighter future there. But yeah, I will say Modi looks pretty good for 70. Um, another thing of note, uh, so obviously in the, it's been over this last week, we had the one year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine from Russia. Uh, and I know that um, speaking like from a geopolitical stance, India has probably been the most neutral or not really leaned into like pro-Russia stance, but definitely probably more neutral than most of the developed world and everything like that. What what could you guys comment on like uh, between we just talked about like U.S. relations with uh, India? What about like Russian and like even Chinese? Like just give a little break breakdown of like Indian politics or like sorry of Asian politics. Uh sure. Uh just to 
circle back to what you were saying about younger prime ministers. I mean, I think our youngest prime minister was like in the 40s as well, or maybe in the 50s, I'm not sure. But he's definitely a little younger than usual. Mm, okay. Yeah, and I mean, Narendra Modi's pretty young for his age, and it is as being like a like a prime minister compared to a lot of other presidents and, you know, world leaders in the world. Right, right. Um, in terms of, like, political stuff, like, I guess for, for the most part, we're pretty chill in Asia, uh, Russia. I know how the U.S. and Russia and, you know, the U.S. has, like, other conflicts going on or whatever trade restrictions that, that happen in, in the bulk of Asia, including China as well. But uh, I know for sure that India and Russia have a, have a pretty good uh, vibe as well. And, you know, like uh, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of countries would, even though they would have a conflict with Russia, we, we from a historical standpoint, have definitely had like a good relation with them. And um, in, in terms of like economics with China has been, has been good. Uh, I I don't from from what I've learned and from from like the past, there've not been any you know outliers or any major conflicts that we have faced. Uh, but there definitely can come. There, there definitely can be some disruptions because of the uh, you know the India India Pakistan uh, conflicts that we have. And, uh, you know, it, it, in the end of the day, it's, it's all about, you know, China and Russia also being very close to mm-hmm. India, Pakistan. So sometimes it, it can get into a situation where both countries have to, like, pick a side. And that's just that that can create some strain and some tension. But for the for the most part, it's uh, in Asia, the only biggest conflicts that I can think of is India, India and Pakistan. And. Historically, they've, they've always it's always been a little chaotic, and there are a lot of factors that that play into this chaos. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you for expanding on that. I uh, I will ask you a question. It's completely fine if you don't know the answer. Uh, I don't either, or anything like that. Um. So when it comes to like U.S. Uh, to bring it back a little bit, we uh, we obviously went through the Cold War with Russia and everything like that. And we 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 set up these like proxy wars instead of having direct conflict. Is there any kind of uh, correlation, like similarities, like does uh in the conflict between India and Pakistan, is there um does like Russia support you guys over them, or does China support you guys over them, or vice versa? Is it kind of like is it, is it a, like would you say there's any element of proxy war? So actually, I have a, I, have a, I have a decent amount to say about this whole like our relationship with uh, Russia, China, and how like sort of Pakistan gets tied into it as well. Oh uh, yeah, go so, for yeah, it. Like Agassi said, like Agassi said, India and and uh, Russia have always had like fairly good, um, fairly good um, relations, and it it, date ba- it dates back to like um, when Russia was the Soviet Union, and uh, like Cameron, you and I have spoke have spoken about this a lot as well. Uh, uh, you know, when when the whole world essentially turned their back on India, like Russia was still there, still supporting us, and um, mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely um, it's a strategic partnership for sure and it's it's been going on for 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 decades and yeah like you you, like you had mentioned um despite the whole uh situation in ukraine um india has not cut ties any ties with uh russia in fact uh uh, i think they they actually just signed a deal uh fairly recently that um uh i I, i'm not exactly too sure about it but i think it was a 
uh, it was like a, a trade deal that was worth like uh, like maybe 30 40 billion dollars um that extends down to uh, 2025 um so yeah it's definitely um it's definitely uh, there's definitely a lot of history between um Russia and India and um although like uh so when it with regards to the whole uh, Pakistan situation uh Russia has sort of tried to uh stay neutral uh they've definitely tried to step out of it um but I don't know I think uh in general I, I think that's made India as a country more like wary of uh Russia because um this like Russia and uh, Pakistan, their relations are starting to improve, and I think um, they've also had many like transactional relationships and uh, deals of that have happened over the last um, decade or so. So there is some sort of friction going on um, between there, and yeah, um, like Agassi said, with regards to like the India Chinese China relations, um, it's been like I think the the countries have always been in like like a healthy competition in a sense, um, okay. like. I guess yeah, you can like China's obviously like in terms of uh, their their economy is is ahead of India, but you know we're starting to catch up. I think uh, in the next mm. ten, twenty, thirty years, you know, uh, Cameron, I, I talk about this all the time. I, I just I really see India taking uh, you know becoming like a, a, a superpower, and you know some might argue that it already is. Um, but yeah, just like you know, we do have border disputes with China. Uh, I think um, I do remember. Uh, in 2017, there was a there's a couple of shootings in, uh, on one of our um, uh, on the border between um, India China. I think you know there was, yeah. there's a valley clash that happened in uh, in 2020. Uh, and since then, I, I do think that our relationship with China has been in a decline. Um, there's definitely I feel like there's definitely some tension. Um, um, I'm just gonna chime in real quick, and you know just, just to flow off what you're saying about China before we move on. Um, I mean, I mean, like we, we obviously, India has nuclear weapons, China also has nuclear weapons, and Russia is also another superpower that has nuclear weapons, and Pakistan did not for a very long time, and China did help them eventually get the, get nuclear weapons, uh, in, in the past, I believe, so, so if you, you know, if you think about it, like in, in, in India's perspective, it's like, what? You know, you know, we we have a chill vibe relationship, uh, politically and economically with, with China, and then I guess when they did this, it it kind of, uh, deteriorated that, a little bit, but uh, I I in the end of the day, I think in India is still trying to make like the right decisions, to to strategically you know help itself. So, it's 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 not going to, I I don't think we we want to majorly be against anyone so that we can improve as an economy mm. but that i just wanted to mention that one factor that probably played a role in some sudden changes oh, yeah absolutely uh yeah thank you guys both for uh that definitely got me a lot because i am very americentric when it comes to my knowledge especially of governments and everything like that just how the american school system brought me up and i can assume griffin is the exact same way um but um yeah um uh, uh, I guess another question I have. I know, uh, Dushar, you brought up uh, about uh, India like becoming a, a superpower in the next couple of years. Uh, from what consumer reports uh, bring out, and from what like just general UN studies and general like uh, world like uh, oh yeah, uh, general like world news, 
it basically has um, India still listed as a developing nation, but it has potential to take over the number one spot by 2050. Because right now it's projected it's going to be uh, you guys or China. Is there anything you guys can comment on on the fact of be, still being labeled a de- as a developing nation or like the possibility of being a superpower by 2050? Yeah, for sure. Um, I do. I do agree. I do think we're still a developing nation. Um, yeah, the economic growth has been increasing in India. Our GDP is going up. Um, you know, uh, I've read reports that say in the next, you know, 10, 15 years, we're going to have the largest middle class in the world, uh, which I guess, it, of course, you can, you know, you can say it's because like a big factor of that is our large population. Mm. But, you know, how like I think what's amazing about our country is despite like we have so many issues with such a big country, like we have a population with like 1.3, 1.4 billion people. Despite that, I feel like we are always like. Uh, we're always like ready to help other countries. Like uh, Cameron, I told you, like with this whole Turkey Syria thing, um, the earthquakes and everything, we were the first countries to send them aid. And Turkey and India have not had great relations uh, in the past, so um, I think that's India a good sign for like, world peace. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> uh, when you when you um, if you look at it, I think um, yeah, most most reports I've read as well have said like by 2050 they expect um, uh, you know India to be uh, or super, definitely the, the probably the largest economy. Which I do I do agree with. I think um, just the way like uh, the the economy is is working right now, it's uh, it's yeah, ridiculous. and like the startups it's... and like that's something we've Gus and I have seen with our own eyes, like like. We live in the what's like Bangalore's called like the IT capital of uh, of India, and like the, the number of startups that are coming up there, with uh, the number of unicorns coming up there in the last few years have been like it's absolutely outstanding. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the start, startup space, especially in Bangalore, is just it's it's amazing to see where a unicorn is any uh, startup that's valued uh, over a billion dollars, I think, and we just have so many startups that have just like risen through and helped India and you know create economical perspective and you know I mean to, to quote uh, Jeff Bezos he's, he said that he predicts 21 the 21st century is going to be you know India century and you know to specifically quote him he said the dynamism the energy everywhere he goes uh, he meets people working in you know growing uh, and, and hoping that India would, would get somewhere and I I definitely feel like as Tushar was saying, the the population it plays a big issue because there's so much to manage and so many other issues that come with it like you know poverty and healthcare and everything. But I feel like this is actually India's greatest strength because because you could use population as an advantage to to you know like really really boost up and ramp up this economy. And what have, what we have done in the last ten years has just given India so much hope and put us in the right direction. And definitely in the next 10, 15, 20 years, it's it's going to completely change. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that, that pretty much answers my question. Griffin, are you still troubling with your mic, or you get that all figured out? I heard a little connection thing. Um, back to dots. I think you can hear us, but... You guys hear me? I don't think... All right, am I recording? Am I good? Um, yeah, yeah, you're good. I think the dots on, but you'll be fine. All right. Sweet. Uh, I had the one question I had for you is that what you just said, Augustine, you talked about 
your like huge population as a strength is you don't really hear that a lot. Everybody's talking about these massively inflating populations as you know how can we control this, like the damages of this, but you never really hear them talk about how that can boost your economy and these huge startups that you're having. It's always like huge population as a negative versus a positive. So that's a cool, like, unique perspective to hear. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's I, that, that, yeah, that, that's a that's a good point. But I think it's like it's it's the it's a different you know in, in a more macro in a more micro perspective than macro. I I think that that like I okay I feel like the the population is only going to start reducing over time. Um, I think over the over the last few years it's reduced a little bit, but it's that you know I can't really tell if it if it would increase or not, but. Yeah. If if it if we start to decline on the in the population over time, we still have like a big population to work with, and and I, I think that that could could help play a role uh, in increasing the economy. And I think I think it's just it's a, there's a lot more like specifics and a lot more factors that go into it. And you know we we could go into like the the new things that India's India has done, like the Aadhaar card. And uh, it's just like this identification that we've made, and we've we've started making micro, you know, we've digit digitalized micro trans- transactions that happen on an everyday basis, and you know, like you, you you go on you you go on the road, and people are like using cash a lot more, like a lot lot yeah lesser than usual, and because because of that, like you're able to make transactions a lot more easy, and that just starts starts uh, creating a lot more cash flow around. And when you have a big population where you know we're slowly starting to move to a more like digital side of things, it it could uh, most definitely start like it definitely have like a catalyst towards towards growth. Awesome. Yeah. That's, yeah. hundred uh, percent. I think that's one of the things that has transformed India. Like since Modi's come to town, he's definitely like uh, digitalized like the whole nation. Um, so I think Agus had mentioned how. Uh, so we have this thing in, in India called UPI, which is which stands for Unified Payment Interface, which basically allows it's essentially all you need in India right now to make a transaction in real time is like your, your phone. So it's your phone number is directly linked to your bank account, uh, and that's also linked to our national IDs, which are known as Aadhaar cards. So all you really need to do is you you link your bank account to this uh, UPI ID, which is like a it's like a virtual address, uh, essentially, and you can transfer from you know uh, money from your account, your account directly to someone else's uh, bank account, uh, pretty much instantly. And yeah, like Agassi said, like when I go back home now, I don't carry cash anywhere. Uh, all I do is I just have my phone. I don't even need my credit card at this point. I just walk around with my phone, um, and yeah, all my transactions are done like virtually. It's like it's it's it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and I think we're far ahead of any other country, in fact, when it comes to uh, like uh, digitalization, and, uh, even even with stuff when it comes to like Wi-Fi and uh, data and roaming and stuff like that. India has probably I I I, I don't want to. Uh, I hope I'm accurate in saying this, but I definitely think we have some <laughs> of the, like the cheapest um, uh, cheapest uh, Wi-Fi that's out there. Like uh, since Modi's come come to power, that's definitely something he that was one of his initiatives that he wants to. Uh, you know, make make us an extremely like digital economy, and um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, the 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 digital sides of it, side of it, and like the security side of it. Like, you want to know 
Yeah, I want to talk about like this one specific thing that I noticed is that in, in India, let's say you're making a payment with your credit or debit card, right? The, the transaction doesn't go through immediately. You, you get a thing called a one-time password or an OTP, and you you have to type in this password. You, you get a message on your phone saying that, hey, the one-time password are 76 numbers, and only then you could make a purchase. Suppose if I'm like ordering something on Amazon, I need to have my phone on me so I can get this one-time password on my phone. And think think about what that means in terms of like uh, payment securities, right? Like, suppose if someone steals my card, they cannot use it ever because they need this one-time password to pay yeah, the transaction. That's very, that's very important. And very big problem. That's that's like it's 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 huge, right? And it, this it, this whole uh, digital aspect of India that we're we're facing has has proven. We've been uh, great in the last four years, and I, I, there are a lot of big, there are bigger plans that that we have. I think uh, that over the next ten years, we'll, we'll see how how things roll out. And yeah, I, I do credit this to you know, Narendra Modi and what he's done for us so far. And that's why he's still our prime minister. Mm. I, I looked, at, I looked at stuff that I didn't, I didn't uh, know this. Um, so according to. Uh, MorningConsult.com, they basically just like uh, work on like world leaders and like their approval rating. Uh, Modi currently is one of the top ones. He currently sits at a 77% approval rating. Oh, only a, 100%. With, with only a 90% yeah. approval. Would you both say that's accurate? Would you say it's maybe skewed? Oh, uh, do you agree with it? Agree with Modi, that well? I, I agree with it, absolutely. Fun fact about Modi, he used to sell, you know, tea. When when he was like when he, you know when he was in his twenties probably like he he was he was poor as fuck like he would he would be on the road like selling tea to people on a train station and, and barely making any bank uh, you know like, at, at all and he he just he came out of nothing and like I, I don't know how he did it but probably just through you know joining the BJP party and just having like a big political campaign and. Fucking making it to what he is right now. Like his story is just absolutely inspiring, and things that he's done is, has has proven that. I, I absolutely agree with that. Statement. I also have a very big bias because he's, <laughs> he's from from the same state that I was, uh, that I you know that my parents and my family is from. So, but yeah, I, I agree with that. Sure, what do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, I think you know, like you asked, like actually, like if you look back a few years, like in terms of the economy and everything, like I think most people sort of brush brush India away. You know, we weren't like, but like since he's come to power, like, I I think our growth as a country uh, is yeah, it's it's fantastic, and uh, I think it's yeah, I think now like you know the I think we have like a. I don't think I think we we're like an all time high in term in terms of like patriotism and stuff like that, which is you know it's it's great to see. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're a really proud nation, and you know I think he's definitely like helped us in in terms of that, um, in terms of our pride, and yeah. Hmm, nice. Um, I know one of the biggest uh, critiques of him as a leader is uh, similar to one that was experienced here with uh, President Trump was uh, there is uh, the there's an element of xenophobia or uh, Islamophobia towards his rule. Uh, is there any comment that you uh, care to make on that? Because 
I know you guys have mentioned to me about um, a similar thing that Trump did in 2017 when he became president was he instituted a ban on immigration from predominantly Islamic nations as mostly as a, uh, issue, as a way to combat like global terrorism. Um, you said there was something similar to that. Am I, am I, I'm, not, I'm not misconstruing you, am I? Um, I, I think that there are definitely going to be biases in different, different perspectives, especially religious groups. And uh, in the end of the day, I just want to say that you know India is still a secular nation. We're not a Hindu or Muslim-oriented uh, nation, right? Like, you know, Pakistan, they they have a main national religion, which is uh, Islam, and an example of a Hindu religion. Uh, nation is Nepal, for example, that's right above India. But we as a as a nation are fully secular. So uh, I, I I feel like, yeah, you know, the some some religions would have like a, a majority in the country and like, you know, the majority of uh, Indians would be Hindu. But there's so, so I guess in in terms of a media perspective that would play a role in you know creating some tension but overall in the end of the day the government has to you know look look at things in a more um in the perspective of of like being secular and uh i believe that it you know like the, the decisions that they make would definitely not be biased in any any way it's it's just a you know, religions with a higher population that, that would create these biases. But, yeah, so I, I think for the most part it, it, it would be un, unbiased, but, you know, I I could be wrong. Like, you, you never know what, what really goes on mm, right, in, right. in any, any way. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, uh, yeah, like, like Augustus said, we are like the most secular nation in the world. So, uh, you know, you, you, you do meet people of, from all religions, all backgrounds. And uh, it's, it's yeah, it's uh, definitely like a melting pot of people. But um, yeah, I think one critique that has been like around since Modi's been around is that he is uh, pursuing a very like Hindu nationalist agenda. Uh, and yeah, since... Uh, although, like, yeah, some, there's a lot of fake news in India, India by the way, um, which is something I think the government is definitely trying to work on. But um, mm. I, I, I definitely do think there's been a lot of uh, uh, anti-Muslim violence uh, uh, going on in India, especially since like 2020. Um, there've been there were a bunch of riots in Delhi that left like a bunch, like a lot of Muslims were being uh, were being killed just like on the streets. So and you know Modi was accused of not doing anything to to to, to even. Um, you know, arrest the people who were responsible for it, uh, and also, uh, he did. He did. Um, there were there. There are certain policies as well that people claim uh, that you know discriminate uh, against Muslim people and um, their rights. I think um, an example that I, I think Cameron, you, you and I have spoken about this before was the um, CAA, which basically um, doesn't allow. Uh, 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 Muslim migrants from neighboring countries like you know Pakistan, Afghanistan, and, Bangla- and Bangladesh to um, to migrate into to sorry to immigrate into India, which is yeah, it's uh, I guess similar to what uh, like Cam as you pointed out, similar to what um, the US had done um, a while back as yep, well. Yep. So I think yeah, the main critique with when it comes to him is that uh, Modi is the uh, alleged. 
Hindu nationalist agenda that he is spreading. Gotcha. All right. Uh, I think we have time for uh, one more broad question. Uh, I got to take off in a little bit, but I have more, more time for this. What would, um, so you two are both international students studying in the United States. Um, what would you describe if you had, let's say, it'll take about 10 minutes on this, five, like a couple minutes each or whatever like that. What would you describe the international student experience as? Has it been favorable because you're here? Do you wish you would have gone somewhere else to be more inclusive? Or just uh, give a little rundown to the Amero, the Americans that are listening to here. Like, what, what is the international student experience? Uh, Shah, do you want to chime in? Or... Uh, yeah, I can go. I can go first, uh, for sure. I think. Uh, sure. I think first of all, I think both of us are really fortunate, uh, like that we could come all the way to the U.S. Uh, to pursue uh, our education, um, and it's it's great. Like uh, Madison, Cameron, as you love to point out, is a very blue city. It's a very inclusive city, but that doesn't mean that there's like you know we. Don't... I, I think yeah. I think, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, you're saying that it's inclusive, but that, I think it's because if we're in a very college town oriented, yeah, that's, that's why that's exactly everyone is like our age, but yeah, sorry, go on. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, I think I, that, that that's not like a, I can't say with like a hundred percent confidence that I haven't faced racism or I haven't felt like I've been, uh, you know, I've been treated a certain way just, just because of the, my color and the way I speak and stuff like that. I don't think, uh, uh, but like my like, largely I have had a very good experience as an international school. I think Madison, like UW Madison, the college as itself, like itself has you know it's done a lot in terms of uh, uh, in terms like in terms of like like just trying to make life easier for international students. I think they do a, a lot of good stuff. Uh, but you know you, there, there's always going to be that one asshole, one or two assholes you meet here and there. Um, like I think on my first game day, I don't know. I think I told you guys about this. Yeah, on my first game day, I was sitting, um, like a football game day. I was sitting in the, like not the student section, just like the general, the regular uh, section, and this old white. Like I, it was. A, I remember it was, a, it was a Penn State game. It was the first, first, first game of freshman year, and I was sitting at the back with my friends. And yeah, we were yelling some stuff at, at some of the, uh, like towards the stadium. Like you know how everyone go, everyone was yelling "fuck Penn State" that, um, during the game. So yeah, I yeah. remember me and my, a bunch of my other uh, friends from, from back home in Bangalore, we were yelling, you know, fuck Penn State. And then this old white dude just turns turns around and he's like, oh, if you're going to be that disrespectful, why don't you go back to your country and do it? Uh, so I definitely started by, uh, uh, started by uh, you know, game days, you know, were definitely like a bit of a emotional emotional experience for me uh, at first. But um, yeah, apart from that, I think... Um, I think what's great about being an international student is that um, once we once you get here, you really appreciate your, your you know your own culture so much more. Like I think I've, I think you, like I I tell you guys this all the time. Like I want to be like watching Bollywood movies and I want to listen to um to to Hindi music a lot more than I think I would have when I if I, when I was back home. Like you know when I was back home, I I was always you know just listening to like you know your typical rap, Drake, that sort of stuff. Um, and watch you know as many English movies as I could. But now I definitely find myself, you know, every now and then I feel I feel homesick, and I'll you know I'll put on a nice little Bollywood movie where and then the camera the first thing Cam will say is, bro, another three R one and <laughs> you know how it goes. I don't have time uh, for ten Avengers Endgames. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was ra- yeah, I was raised in a culture where two hour movies are like the norm. Like two and a half, you're pushing it to the boundary way too far. 
<laughs> no, but I definitely appreciate it. and the fact that you know Madison is actually a very diverse. I think it's a it's a fairly yeah. I'm not say very diverse, but it's a fairly diverse campus. Uh, I think there's a lot it's of people, very inclusive, very inclusive. Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of people uh, who come from similar similar backgrounds, you know, Augusta, and Augusta. So I think they, you know it, it, it's definitely the the change a lot easier and. I think some people have had it worse. Uh, Augusta and I are, are, are lucky enough. That yeah. Either our parents or our siblings have come here for college, so we so we, we and we've traveled here when we were kids. Um, so we we kind of knew right. get it coming into. There weren't that many uh, culture shocks. Yeah, there were a few, you know, here and there. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel that. Um, uh, you know, Madison Madison does a lot for international students, and I'm, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I feel like I've I've definitely appreciated the Indian culture a lot more as well. I completely get the Shah's perspective. But uh, one thing I just want to add is, is just a, what I've realized is that a lot of people here have, you know, common misconceptions about India. And, it, and that, you know, that at first that used to set me off a little bit, but then I realized that most people... Are, you know, like probably just have a different experience and you just have to empathize with them. But, you know, I, I just wish that people people were a little more like, uh, you know, a little, little more like exposed towards what actually is outside there in the world. You know, like some some people that I speak to would be like, oh, you know, how you know you're from India. How do you know English? And for, for me, that that puts me off a little bit because I have to explain that, you know, a lot of people in India also do speak English. Right, like the small things like that, but but you know misconceptions that just because uh, of you know different life experience that experiences that people have, and I'm I I definitely get excited to talk about my culture, and I love it when people are interested and ask me more questions about it, so I could you know tell people more about India. Exactly, and uh, Augusta, I think you and I have been asked some of the most like out of pocket questions, like uh, in our like a straight face, like oh, like do you guys live in Manhattan? It's the funniest. Do you ride elephants yeah. and stuff like that? Do you live in funniest, <laughs> funniest <laughs> fucking shit? The, the 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 thing is, once you actually, you know, uh, yeah, I think Augusta and I definitely learned to joke around with it. Like I would tell people, you know, I came on a boat and yeah. I learned English on Duolingo in two months while I was on the boat. <laughs> And that yeah, yeah I, used to, I used to ride my elephant to to to, uh, to high school, and I, actually I'm trying to get him shipped over here to, so I can I can take him around Madison. Yeah, uh, you could say the most out of pocket fucking shit, and everyone's gonna be like, yeah, oh, you know, like oh, beer is cheaper than water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we would come up with <laughs> wacky stories ever. But I think uh, at the end of the day, we, we I think we also realized that a lot of it is like Cam. I think you pointed out before, America. The American education system is very American centric. Because, oh yeah, like it, like I think you and Griffin are definitely you know you know one offs over here, but like, you guys definitely like have like like Cameron. You talk to me, you ask me, and you probably know so much of you. I know you know so much about just Indian uh, culture and Hindu mythology. Like you, you love it, and um, but the, the problem is there's so many people just that like just don't have like, don't a have basic that. idea at all. Like you know, like the yeah. way America portrays India as a country is like you know. Literally that you know we live in like you have mud huts and stuff like that. So um, I think we learned that it's 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 not people trying to be you know trying to be rude or anything. It's just a lack of education at that point. Um, well, I would definitely agree with you there, Tashar. Like out of all the other countries in the world, I mean, India 
especially like us growing up in this American school system, has, I mean, been a prominent country, economic, like an economic superpower and this up-and-coming power in the world, and we learn, I mean, basically nothing about India in our entire education. Yeah, absolutely. We learn, we learn about Gandhi, and that's pretty much it. And that's, and that's, that's 50-50. Like, some people learn about it, some people don't. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's basically just a complete stranger over there to most of the, like, most of America, because basically uh, how... I know there's like this whole HBO like miniseries about it. But how uh, Americans are brought up seeing India is a poo from The Simpsons. Like the gas station clerk, uh, who in that like in that show definitely like had a pet elephant, was completely vegetarian, like had eight kids, and that's the yeah, that's the extent of what we're taught. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I think it's a lot of the. A lot of the stuff that you guys are taught are just based off of certain stereotypes that I I don't even think are accurate in you know the modern India that we have today. Um, so yeah, it's, but you know I, I think it's yeah I, like I said I don't think it's anyone trying to be rude. I just think it's the lack of um, education and knowledge at, a, uh, at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of like life ex- experiences and stuff, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more the more uh, open you are, definitely the better it is. Um, I am running a little low on time. Uh, Griffin, do you have any final questions or thoughts for our two first guests here, or uh, anything else? Uh, no, I think I've said all I I have to say. Awesome. Um, thank you to Shar and Augusti for being on having being our first guests. Uh, very insightful, very educational episode. I hope it opens a lot of people's minds. Uh, people learn that you guys don't live in huts and ride elephants. That is the goal here. Um, but yeah, other than that, this has been episode five of Two Lefties Get It Right, and I hope that you guys all enjoyed, and uh, we'll see you next week. We're going to have a very special week with four guests next week, and uh, it should be a fun time. But you guys have anything else to say before we take off? Well, uh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having us. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. We uh, yep. enjoyed having our, our first couple guests. It's a good little yeah. learning experience, and yeah, we got four two some technical difficulties, but yeah, it should be better next week and going forward. So we guys have to be honest about it. Alright, uh this has been TLTR and I've been Cameron. I've been Griffin. Alright, uh, catch you guys later. Thanks. Bye bye.